All right, guys, well, good morning. Uh, thanks for being here. Like we said before, uh, we exist, you guys, we exist as a church to see all people know, love, and follow after Jesus. And so uh, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, which I think all of us are here, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we want to say that you're welcome. We hope that you would know Jesus, know more about the gospel, about who he is. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in uh, Colossians chapter 1. This week we're going to start our Advent series, okay? I'm not sure if you guys are people that like Christmas. How many of you guys like Christmas? I love Christmas. Hi, Al. It's okay. It's all right. I absolutely love Christmas. I like the, the movies of Christmas. I like the songs about Christmas. In fact, I had this friend. His name's Ryan. And he said that 90% of the music on his phone, like on his iPod, is Christmas music all year round. So if you saw him at the gym, you saw him riding his bike, he wasn't working out to rap or rock and roll, but he was actually like working out to Jingle Bells. All right? He loves Christmas. Okay? And uh, maybe you're here this morning, and, and you love the idea of Christmas, you love what Christmas represents, but Christmas is a really important holiday for us as disciples of Jesus. You know, as disciples of Jesus, we take this time to reflect on Jesus coming to earth to save us, to rescue us. That's what Christmas is all about. And in fact, the four weeks leading up to Christmas is what we call Advent. Who in here knows what Advent means? What does it mean, Hannah? No? What do you, what do you think it means? Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what Advent means. Advent means arrival, which means someone has come or something has happened. And so Christmas, you guys, for us, it's not just that we look back to Jesus has come once, but also we look ahead to Jesus is actually coming again. And so for for hundreds of years, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the church had its own calendar. And so in the West, we have a calendar that begins in January. And in the East, we have the lunar calendar. But for a long time, the church had its own calendar. And some churches still operate this way, but their year actually begins with Advent. It begins in the season. Because they, they thought that by taking a long look at the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus coming to, to earth to rescue us, it was supposed to change the way that we live the next year. It's supposed to set the course for our year. And guys, as we've been praying for this time, we've been praying for you all and praying for our series in Advent. Our hope is that as we take a long look at Jesus that our years would be different. And so I want you guys to take this piece of paper that you guys got. You guys got a piece of paper? Everybody got one? All right, young or old, I want you guys to take it out. And I want you to to think about, as you look at this next year, what are you hoping for? All right, what are you hoping God to do in your life? What are you hoping maybe for your family, for your kids? I know in Taiwan, you guys, next year, 2020, is an election year. And so sometimes uh, people in Taiwan are hoping that the president will either stay the same. Some people are hoping that there will be a change. In America, next year, 2020, all right, right? Some people want the president to stay the same. Uh, Some people want the president to be changed, right? And so we're hoping that things will be different. Maybe some of you that are students, you're hoping that next year uh, the teacher will give you less homework, Right? For those of us who have been driving to Morrison uh, for longer than I have, right, we are saying, thank God, school is moving over here to Taipei or to, to Linko. We don't have to drive there anymore. Maybe some of you guys are hoping that things will be different in your marriage with your kids. But I want you to take a moment. I want you to write down what that is, you guys. I want you to take a moment, if you can, to write that down, process it, and think about it. I'll give you just one minute.
All right, you guys can keep doing that. Try to pay attention as well as I preach, but you guys can write down what you're hoping for, what you're believing God to do. Because this morning, as we start our Advent series, we're going to talk about hope. And you know, hope is something that every human being absolutely needs. To be human is to hope. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story, but back when the Holocaust happened in World War II, they say that the people that survived Holocaust, or people that actually survived the, the atrocities that happened there, it wasn't the people that were the strongest. It wasn't the people that were the smartest. It wasn't the people that had the best relationship with the guards. They said the people that survived the Holocaust were people that had purpose. They held on to hope. And guys, the Bible mentions over hundreds of times this word of hope. And so our time this morning is going to be really brief. We're going to be anchored in Colossians chapter 1. All right, we're going to read these scriptures together because Paul's going to talk about three things about what the biblical definition of hope is. All right, so if you guys would stand for the reading of God's word in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says this, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard about it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. All right, let's be seated. So Colossians chapter 1, 3 through 6. Really quick, Paul mentions three aspects of hope. He says, number one, in verse 5, this hope, the gospel, has already come to you. Okay? So he says hope has already come. But then he also says in verse 4, in verse 5, he says that there's a hope reserved for us. So that also means that maybe there's a, there's a hope that's coming. But then Paul also says in verse 6 that the hope of the gospel is actually already inside of you and it's growing and bearing fruit. That there's a present hope. And so when we look at hope this morning, I want to talk about hope has come, hope is coming, but also there's a present hope for us. All right? So let's start with hope has come. Paul says in verse 5, in verse 6, he says the hope of the gospel has already come to you. When we think about the story of God, we think about Jesus already coming. We're going to look at first about the Old Testament because the story of the Bible is this long story about God rescuing humanity. And so really quickly, you guys, in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament uses two words for hope. All right, two words for hope. The first one actually means this idea of waiting. So some of you guys might feel like you're just waiting right now for December 25th. You can't wait for Christmas to get here. Some of you guys might be waiting for Christmas to actually pass. You can't wait till it's over because it stresses you out. All right. Um, so that's one of the definitions of hope. It's just waiting. The second word that the Old Testament uses is this word that means tension. If you can think of like a rubber band being pulled. You guys know when you pull a rubber band and there's tension, you know it's about to pop. And so putting those words together, you guys, the Old Testament, when we talk about hope, it's this idea that they're waiting in anticipation. They're waiting with expectation. For those of you who are, who are sports fans, you probably know the feeling that if you're in the game or you're at a stadium and someone's about to like throw the winning touchdown and you can feel the tension, right, in the stadium, it's silent. That's the feeling the Old Testament talks about when it talks about hope. I remember when I was in high school, um, I played basketball and I was, uh, it was the playoffs for this, for this time of year. And I was on the varsity team, I was a junior, I was on the bench, which is where I should have been, right? I was on the bench, whereas where I felt comfortable and we were in the playoffs, it was a game and one of the guys got hurt. 
And so he came off, and by, I don't know what the coach was thinking, but this is why I believe in miracles, because the coach grabbed me, he put me in the game, and uh, I got fouled. So I got fouled, and I went to the free throw line, and it was either I was going to be able to make free throws to like, win the game, or it was going to take us right to the lead. And so you could feel this tension, right? This tension that this word talks about. So I walked up to the free throw line, I got the ball, I shot the first one, boom, in. No problem. Cheering, everything was going like crazy, I felt so confident. And I stepped up to the next one. I grabbed the ball. You could feel the tension, right? Like something's about to happen. Grabbed the ball so confidently, shot it. Complete air ball. All right, just complete air ball. Everybody booed, right? It was just like this complete letdown. But the feeling, right? That feeling, if you ever felt that of tension, of anticipation, that's what the Old Testament talks about when it talks about hope. And when we ask the question of what were they waiting for, we have to go back to the very beginning, you guys, because when we look at the idea of hope in the Old Testament, they were waiting expectantly for something or someone, something to happen. And so we need to go back to the very beginning of the story of God. In the very beginning, you guys, God said that he created this world. He created it good, all right? He created the plants, the animals, the universe. And it says that he made everything and he declared that it was good. And then finally, it says that God created human beings. And he said to human beings, he said, I'm going to tell you that you are very good. Which from the very beginning, guys, what God is telling us is that you and I were supposed to get our identity, our value, our worth from what God says about us. You are very good. I created you. I made you. And so if you can imagine this, you guys, in the very beginning, it says that people, humanity, enjoyed the goodness of God. They enjoyed creation. Like food was better. Adam got to name the animals. They got to walk in the cool of the day with God. This is what God did for us. And it says one day, the enemy of our faith, the serpent, came along. And he found Adam and Eve sitting there. And he told, he, told, he told Eve, he said, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat of this fruit of the tree? And that's what the enemy does with us, you guys. The enemy will always come to you, and this is the way he's going to tempt you in your life. He's going to say, did God really say this? He's going to make you doubt the word of God. From the very beginning, that's what he's been going to do it. And that's what he does continuing to, to right now. He makes you doubt the word of God. And so Eve said, no, like God said that we can't eat it, but we also can't touch it, which God never said that, right? But as human beings, we love to add to what God is doing. And uh, so, Eve, so the serpent went back to Eve and said, did God really say you're not supposed to do this? And Eve said, yeah, he said we can't eat it, we can't touch it. Because what God wanted humanity to know, God gave humanity one boundary, one rule. He said, I've given you everything to enjoy he said, man, I don't want you to eat of the fruit of this one tree. Because God was trying to tell us, he's trying to tell you, that we are meant to live our lives under the authority, the rule, and reign of God. That a, that a life that's full, that a thriving life is meant to live under the rule and the reign of God. And so Eve responded back to the serpent. And the serpent said, yeah, you know, but God knows when you eat this, guess what's going to happen? You're going to become like him. Because this is what the enemy wants to do with you and me. He wants you to believe that God is actually withholding from you. Right? He said, you know what? God is actually holding back from you. He didn't give you his best. He didn't give you what's good. And so Eve, unfortunately, you guys know what happened. It says that she saw that the fruit was delightful to the eye. And she bit into it. See, when I read that story, it reminds me that sin in my own life is often something that looks really nice on the outside, but it's rotten on the inside. So lately, just, just like to be a friend, lately in my life, what I've been doing is I've been calling temptation in my life, no offense to anybody here that likes this, but durian. I don't know if you guys know what durian is, this fruit. Durian is this massive fruit, right? It looks amazing on the outside, but 
once I take a bite of it or once I smell it, it's, it's horrible. It leaves this taste in my mouth. And so when I'm tempted, when I see sin, I'm like, okay, that's durian right there. Because it looks nice, but I know that if I take a bite, it's going to be like disastrous for my body. And that's what I would encourage you guys to do. Um, sorry if you guys like durian, but, but that's it for me. I don't know what it's going to be for you. But that's what sin is. It looks nice on the outside, but it's rotten to the core on the inside. And so it says that Eve took this apple, this, this fruit, and she bit it. And then all of a sudden, everything went wrong. Sin entered our world, right? Our relationships are broken. Our relationship to God was broken. Our relationships with each other were broken. It says creation is actually bearing the curse of sin. And the whole time, you guys, just as men, the whole time, Adam was standing there the whole time. I mean, Adam literally just watched his wife walk into something that was a disaster as the enemy tempted her. It's like if I was like watching my wife walk out into the street and there's a moto and a coming or a car coming. I'm just sitting there being like, man, I really hope she can get across, man. I hope, she's, hope she can go fast enough. And that's what, that's what Adam did the whole time. He just sat there and watched his wife walk into this. And so God said, what have you done? He said, now this world is broken. Your relationship with me is severed. The curse of sin is on you and also this creation. So as we look around the world, we can see effects of this. But God in his grace, he says this. He says, but I promise you, because I'm a God of grace, I'm a God of mercy, that even though right now you, you are justifiably deserving of my wrath, I will send you someone that will redeem you, that will save you. And so he promises this Savior. He, he promises this person that's going to come. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to crush the enemy. He's going to reverse the curse of sin that we had upon us because we rebelled against God. And so really quickly, you guys, the Old Testament, it talks about hope, expectation, anticipation. They're all talking about this one who's going to come from God and rescue and save them from what they did, what was wrong, by rebelling against God and listening to the enemy. And so the story of the Old Testament is that God, he raised up a lot of leaders, but it doesn't matter who God raised up, all of them fell into the same trap. And all of them fell into the lie of the enemy. And so maybe at one point, God raised Abraham up, Israel looked to Abraham and said, man, I'm going to hope in Abraham, but he fell. Maybe they said David or some of the prophets. But the story is that no matter what leader God raised up, all of them failed. And so Israel's in this place. God's people is in this place of anticipating, expecting someone to come and save them from their sins. And this is where Paul says in verse six, he says, this hope of the gospel, it has come to you. So one day in this small little town called Bethlehem, right? You guys know the story. Jesus is born. The king of kings, you guys. The Lord of the universe is born in this little no-name town in a barn with the animals. And this is what the gospel of Matthew says about Jesus when he was born. In Matthew chapter 1, it says this. I don't know if I have it on the screen. Yeah, Matthew chapter 1 says this. It says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now this all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the, by the, uh, by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they'll name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew is referring that all throughout history, there's been these whispers of Jesus coming. 
And even what they say about Jesus right now, it says that he will save us from our sins. It's God with us. It's the same idea that we talked about in the very beginning. He's going to come. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to save us. And so Paul says, number one, the hope of the gospel has come to you. Right? And in Christianity, what I think is beautiful about the gospel is that every other religion, even our own good deeds, we say we want to do something in order to get to God. But the gospel declares to you and to me that Jesus has come to us. That Jesus has come into our mess. He stepped into our world to redeem us and to save us. And so Matthew says here, he says that the Savior has fulfilled all of these promises that were talked about in the Old Testament. So just to give you guys an idea what this would look like, Jesus fulfilling all of the prophecies, right, of the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about this Savior. And the Savior had to fulfill every single one perfectly, right? He had to be born in a certain place. He had to do certain things. He had to die in a certain way. It's like this. It's like if you had the state of Texas, which 17 Taiwans can fit in Texas, okay? It's massive. They're basically their own country in a lot of ways. But it's Texas. It's like if you take the state of Texas and you fill the state of Texas uh, 60 centimeters, which is two feet deep with uh, 50 NTs. You mark one of them, you blindfold a person, and you say, go find it. The chance of that person finding that one coin blindfolded is the same chance or probability of Jesus fulfilling only eight of the prophecies. And what the Bible says is that he fulfilled every single one, over 300 of these prophecies that were spoken about in the Old Testament, that hope has come to us in the person and the work of Jesus. And so Jesus lives, you guys. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. He breaks in to our world. And the New Testament says that as Jesus brought hope, he inaugurated what we call the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is this thing when people come into the kingdom of God, they experience a taste of what it's going to be like when we see Jesus face to face. And yet we all know, as we live in this world, that whether you're Christian or not, your hair still gets gray, right? Your body still breaks down. You still get sick. We still suffer. Our relationships still have issues. And so Jesus, while he's on this earth, he said, listen. He said, I've already come, but I promise you that I'm going to come again. And I'm going to make everything right. And so guys, when we think about Christmas, I want us to wrap our minds around just, just a couple things. Number one. Christmas declares to us that the gospel has already come to you. Now listen, we're not waiting for another Savior. We're not, God isn't waiting for us to kind of get our act together and come to Him. The gospel declares that He's already come. That God's forgiveness, His, His sacrifice for everything that you've done wrong, that I've done wrong, it's already come. And it's in Jesus. But then Jesus also tells us that, listen, as you look around the world, things are not as they should be, right? We still have broken cultures. We still have communities that are breaking down. We still have injustice we still have sickness. We still have death. He says, I'm going to come again. I'll make everything right. And so Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, he says this in verse 5. He says this, I want you to know that there is a hope that is reserved for you in heaven. Hope that's reserved for you. So if you think about the idea of like maybe going to a restaurant and you call ahead because you reserve your seat at the table. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying there is hope that is reserved for you because of the gospel. As a disciple of Jesus, there is hope that is reserved for you. Now, you might be asking me, what does that look like? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, there's this beautiful picture of what Paul is referring to right here. Revelation chapter 21. It says this, verse 3 through 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, and it says, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people's. 
And God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. As disciples of Jesus, you guys, we can be encouraged because what Paul says is that what he declared right there is reserved for you. It's reserved for me. That death will be no more. That sickness will be no more. That our relationships being broken will be no more. That we can see Jesus face to face. And the relationship that Adam and Eve have in the beginning of the garden is exactly what we get to experience with the Father again in the new heavens and new earth. So Jesus declares that hope has come, right? Jesus has already come in the gospel. But he also says that there is a hope that's reserved for you where everything is going to be made right. Everything's going to be created new. And that Jesus will be walking with us, will be enjoying his presence. All creation, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, it's going to be beautiful. Tim Keller says this about the hope that's to come. He says, biblical hope is life-changing certainty about the future, right? It's certainty that this hope is reserved for us, that you can be assured as a Christian that this hope is reserved for you. And he says, being certain about the future in, in a way that should affect how you live now. So what Tim is saying basically is this. If this hope is really is reserved for you, that what Paul just declared to me and you, if it's really reserved for if it's, if it's really true, that actually should change the way that you and I live right now. So a question I have for you and for me is this. How is believing that that hope is assured for us, how is believing that that hope is reserved for us going to change the way that you and I live right now? How is knowing that our eternity is secure, that Jesus is coming to rule as a king, that everything's going to be made new, that we're going to see him face to face, how should that change the way that you and I live our day today? I just want to put that before you guys. Finally, Paul says to us, not only has hope come, not only is hope reserved, but he said also this hope of the gospel in Colossians chapter one, it's actually living inside of you and growing all over the world that the hope of the gospel is bearing fruit inside of you. And so as as I was preparing this, you guys, um, as I was looking over this week and looking over this idea of hope, I thought there might be some people in here. Um, who thought, you know, it's, it's great. I can believe that Jesus came. I believe that hope has come. You know, I can even believe that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, but honestly, I struggle to wake up tomorrow. I just struggle to have hope for tomorrow. I struggle to know why is, why is there a purpose? Why is there a point to me waking up and living my life? I can believe that Jesus came. I can believe that I'm going to spend my eternity with him. But what about today? What about tomorrow? And this is where I hope that this would be encouraging to you, that the gospel declares that uh, Paul says that the gospel is actually growing inside of you and bearing fruit. One of the ways that we know that it's bearing fruit and growing inside of us, Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, is he says that God has given us a down payment, a deposit on what's to come. So in Ephesians chapter one, Paul says this in chapter one, verse 13 and 14. He says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He's the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So the first thing that we believe about hope is now is that God has given you and I as disciples of Jesus a down payment of what's to come. Right? So if if you're thinking about, man, how do I know if God's going to make good on his word? How do I know that God's actually going to come through? Well, he says, and he declares that the spirit of God inside of you is this reminder what is to come. Right? 
I, I thought one of the best illustrations for this is this idea of marriage, right? So for those of you who are married, or maybe we'll get married someday, uh, when, a, when a husband do, proposes to a wife, he gives them this, this ring, right? This little engagement ring. So I remember when I gave it to Allison, I gave her this ring, and I said, you know, every time you look at this, it's a reminder, number one, how expensive this ring is, right? It's platinum. But also, it's a reminder that one day the waiting will be over. Right? Every time you look at this, the, the waiting, we don't have to be separated anymore. We're going we're gonna to be together. We're going to be one flesh. Right? We don't have to talk on the phone, long distance, all this kind of stuff. It's a reminder. And what Paul is saying to you and me is this. Every time, you guys, we think about the Spirit of God living inside of us, every time we're convicted, every time we're comforted, every time we, we struggle with sin and we, we desire that things should be different than the way they should be, he said it's a reminder and a declaration that, guess what? The waiting will come to an end. It's going to come to an end. That your struggle with sin, that my struggle with my sin, that your struggle with understanding how the world is broken and how it should be, Paul says the Spirit of God living inside of you Living inside of me is this guarantee that it will come to an end. It will come to an end. So Paul says the Spirit lives inside of us, and he says that that is the hope that is inside of you right now. But Paul also says to us right here in Colossians chapter 1 that this hope of the gospel just doesn't stay with us, right? It, stays, it, stays in our, it doesn't stay in our hearts, but it grows and it bears fruit in our community. And so what Paul says to you and I as the church, he says, listen, The church is meant to be the hope of the world right now. That we are the ones that are declaring the good news of the gospel. That we are the ones that are continuing to advance the kingdom of God. And so it's our desire, you guys, as the Bible declares, that when people come into the church, that it's supposed to be a foretaste of what is to come. That as they see us love each other, as they see us uh, worship Jesus, that it's supposed to be a taste of what is to come. And man, as a leader, I feel like one of my biggest fears is that people would come into our churches or people would come into our community and they wouldn't hear Jesus. That they would come into our churches and they wouldn't hear the Bible. They would come into our churches and they wouldn't experience the love of Christ. And it, and it burdens me because it's like that's all we have. You guys, like as the church, we don't do anything else. We do Jesus and we do the gospel, right? I, I remember just, just recently I was watching, um, I was kind of wasting my time, but I was watching this, this commercial because there's a news report that uh, there's this restaurant in America called Popeye's Chicken. You guys ever heard of Popeye's? Has anybody eaten at Popeye's? Who likes, who likes Popeye's? All right, whatever. But this, uh, the news report, actually, there's this, there was this like, uh, crisis that happened because Popeye's ran out of chicken. All right? And they had this advertisement for two months, apparently, of the special. And so the, the news commercial was basically where all these people were lining up. And they were, they were, uh, they were asking them, like, how do you feel? And people like... How do you run out of chicken? Like, that's all you do, Popeyes. Like, you knew about this for two months. I can't feed my family now. You know, I went to this Popeyes. I went to this Popeyes across the city. You ran out of chicken? It's like, that's all you do. Like, you don't do anything but chicken. And I feel like, man, what, what a reminder to the church, you guys. That's all we do is Jesus, right? This hope of the gospel, like, that's all we have. Like, we, can't, we can't necessarily do a better show. We can't necessarily be funnier. We can't necessarily be cooler. But you know what? All we have is the hope of the gospel, this risen Savior Jesus that is transforming your life, my life, and can transform the world. So Paul says this hope of the gospel, this present hope is supposed to be bearing fruit and growing in your church and growing in your community. So I want you guys to look at that, that list you guys have. Again, if you guys made it, maybe you didn't. 
And I want you to ask yourself this question. How does the hope of the gospel, how does the gospel speak to what you're hoping for for this next year? How does it speak to what you're hoping for? How does the gospel speak to what you're believing for? I remember a couple, a couple of months ago, I was sitting in prayer, and I was, I was meditating, actually, on these verses that uh, we have this morning. And I was, and I was experiencing just the, the closeness of the Lord, you know, the closeness of the Father. I was experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. I, the prayer time was great. That doesn't always happen for me. And I remember just this ache in my heart. There's this ache in my heart being like, I wish there was more, God. Like, I really wish there was more. Like, I wish I could know you more. I wish I could know you better. And I feel like what he said to me was just this idea, is what you're experiencing is this idea of homesickness. Guys, we were created to be in right relationships with him. So I want to encourage you, every time you have this angst in your heart about sin, every time you have this idea that, man, I wish I could be a better husband, be a better father, be a better wife, be a better disciple. He said that angst is this idea that's supposed to remind us that, yes, you're feeling homesick because you're created with right relationship with God. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He reminds us that we're created with the right relationship to God, that there's this feeling of homesickness that, man, Lord, I can't wait until I get to be with you and see you face to face. And so, guys, overall, when the Bible talks about hope, it declares to us, you guys, that hope is not a circumstance change. Hope is not like a life season change, right? Hope is not in a necessarily particular, um, in, the next, in, this, in a particular person or particular politic. Hope is only in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to look at that list finally last time. Look at the list. And I want to warn, I just want to make a, a really brief warning really fast. Because whenever we look at lists like this, whenever we think about things we're hoping for, we're desiring for, we're expecting, a lot of times we can take our expectations and our desires and we can put them on other people and other things. Right? We can say, okay, I want, I want my, my family to be different and so I put all these expectations and these desires upon my, my spouse. Or, you know, I want my life to be better and so I, want, I put these expectations and these desires upon either, you know, my, my ministry or my circumstances or my bank account. And I want to warn us to not do that. That when we place our expectations and our desires in other people, we, we break them. We destroy them. Because no one can bear the weight. Like my shoulders are not big enough to bear the weight of your expectations, my wife's expectations, any of those hopes. Jesus is the only one that can bear that burden and can bear your hopes, bear your desires, bear your expectations. About eight years ago, we were living in Taiwan. And uh, I remember we had just had, we actually just, Hannah was about two or three years old and we had just had Hudson newborn. And it was, really, it was a really tough time for our family. And my wife was going through just like, an, just this emotional, I don't know, this season where it was really hard for her. And uh, for those of you who have newborns, you know exactly what I was talking about. But because I placed my, my expectations and my hopes on her performance and like us being these amazing, stellar, killer missionaries in Taiwan, instead of being gracious and tender towards her, I mean, I'm ashamed to say it, but I would walk up to her several times and she would talk about what she's going through. And I'd say, yeah, it just doesn't seem like you can do it. You know, maybe it just doesn't seem like we can do it. And that's the reality. When we take these hopes, these expectations, these desires, and you place them on your spouse or on your kids or on church, you destroy them and break them. And they cannot bear the burden. Instead, what I should have done is come beside her and said, listen, let's place our hope. 
Let's place our expectation. Let's place our desire upon a sovereign God who is faithful. He's been faithful forever. He's going to be faithful forever to come. And so, guys, this morning, the way that I, I want to close is I want us to just, I want us just, just, to, just to take a moment to look at this list, to look at our desires, to look at what we're asking God to do. And I want us to take a moment just to, just to pray. And I want us to ask the Lord, God, would you remind me, number one, that you are faithful. You know, that God has a proven track record, right? We can believe that hope is sure for us because God has never failed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to look at your list. I want you to ask the Lord to say, God, would you remind me that the gospel tells me that you do not fail, that you are faithful, and that I cannot take these hopes, I cannot take these expectations and place them in any particular person, any particular circumstance change, but I can only place them in the, in the Jesus who died for me and who's faithful. So let's take a moment. Let's just take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to do that. And then we're actually going to close and respond together as a community this morning. But let's just take a moment and pray that together. Father, we thank you this morning as we look at your word, as Paul declares to us that this hope of a new creation, that our our bodies will be made new, death will be no more, suffering will be no more. God, this, this world that's been broken by our sin and our rebellion, Jesus, you will come and you will make all things right. Father, we place our hope in you. And yet, Lord, the, the New Testament commands us, God, to be ready to give a defense of the hope that is inside of us. Because we know that those who are apart from Christ, they have no hope in this world. And so, Lord, over this Christmas season, over Advent, as people ask us about Christmas, I pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would would give us the words to give a defense of the hope that is inside of us, God. And Lord, I pray for us as a community that, man, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would just be would be moving in us in such a way that the gospel would continue to grow, would continue to bear fruit, God, not only among us, but in this community in Linko, Lord. We thank you that Paul tells us that hope has already come. We're not waiting for someone else. We're not waiting for something else. That Jesus has already come to us. And so we can believe, we can trust in him, God. And we thank you for your grace, God. We thank you that you're faithful, that you never change. And so, God, your faithfulness in the past gives us present assurance to believe in you, that you will say, that you will do what you say, God. Yeah, Father, just use this church, use this community as how you see fit. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Let's uh, stand together. We're going to respond. And we're going to respond in two ways this morning. The first way is we're going to take a moment to take communion together. And so, um, yeah, Rich and Ronnie... Elders will be over there to serve communion. We're just going to play. And so just take a moment to to reflect on what communion is. Rich is going to lead us 
and Ronnie's going to lead us in communion this morning. And we'll reflect on that. We'll take communion together as a, as a community. And then we'll sing one final song, and, and then we'll be done. Are you all encouraged this morning? Yes. It's very encouraging for us to realize the fact that we are living proof of what God has done in our lives. Because it changed us as we look forward for the hope where those Jews will come back again. And we know everything is wrong here. And we're looking for the, for the hope where Jesus will make it right again. So with that expectancy in our heart, looking forward for the future, that when our Lord 